Chapter Six of Windsor Castle, Book Four. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Windsor Castle, Book Four, by William Harrison Ainsworth. Chapter Six: The Legend of Hearn the Hunter. Nearly a century and a half ago commenced Cudgebeard, about the middle of the reign of Richard II, there was among the keepers of the forest a young man named Hearn. He was expert beyond his fellows in all matters of woodcraft, and consequently in great favor with the king, who was himself devoted to the chase. Whenever he stayed at the castle, King Richard, like our own royal Harry, would pass his time in hunting, hawking, or shooting with the longbow, and on all these occasions the young keeper was his constant attendant, if a hart was to be chased, Hearn and his two black hounds of St. Hubert's breed would hunt him down with marvellous speed. If a wild boar was to be reared, a badger digged out, a fox unkenneled, a marten bayed, or an otter vented, Hearn was chosen for the task. No one could fly a falcon so well as Hearn. No one could break up a deer so quickly or so skilfully as him. But in proportion as he grew in favour with the king, the young keeper was hated by his comrades, and they concerted together how to ruin him. All their efforts, however, were ineffectual, and rather tended to his advantage than injury. One day it chanced that the king hunted in the forest with his favorite, the Earl of Oxford, when a great deer of head was unharbored, and a tremendous chase ensued, the hart leading his pursuers within a few miles of Hungerford, whither the borders of the forest then extended. All the followers of the king, even the Earl of Oxford, had by this time dropped off, and the royal huntsman was only attended by Hearn, who kept close behind him. At last the hart, driven to desperation, stood at bay, and gored the king's horse as he came up in such a manner that it reared and threw its rider. Another instant, and the horns of the infuriated animal would have been plunged into the body of the king, if Hearn had not flung himself between the prostrate monarch and his assailant, and received the stroke intended for him. Though desperately wounded, the young hunter contrived slightly to raise himself, and plunged his knife into the hart's throat, while the king regained his feet. Gazing with the utmost concern at his unfortunate deliverer, King Richard demanded what he could do for him. "'Nothing, sire, nothing,' replied Hearn with a groan. "'I shall require nothing but a grave from you, for I have received a wound that shall speedily bring me to it.' "'Not so, I trust, good fellow,' replied the king, in a tone meant to be encouraging, though his looks showed that his heart misgave him. "'My best leech shall attend you.' "'No skill will avail me now,' replied Hearn sadly. "'A herd from heart's horn bringeth to the byre.' I hope the proverb will not be justified in thy case, rejoined the king, and I promise thee, if thou dost recover, thou shalt have the post of head-keeper of the forest, with twenty nobles a year for wages. If, unhappily, thy forebodings are realized, I will give the same sum to be laid out in masses for thy soul. I humbly thank your highness, replied the young man, and I accept the latter offer, seeing it is the only one likely to profit me. With this he put his horn to his lips, and winding the dead moat feebly, fell back senseless. Much moved, the king rode off for succor, and blowing a lusty call on his bugle, was presently joined by the Earl of Oxford and some of his followers, among whom were the keepers. The latter was secretly rejoiced on hearing what had befallen Hearn, but they feigned the greatest affliction, and hastened with the king to the spot where the body was lying stretched out beside that of the heart. "'It is almost a pity his soul cannot pass away thus,' said King Richard, gazing compassionately at him, for he will only revive to anguish and speedy death. 
your highness is right replied the chief keeper a grim old man named osmond crook kneeling beside him and half drawing his hunting knife it were better to put him out of his misery what slay the man who has just saved my own life cried the king i will consent to no such infamous deed i would give a large reward to any one who could cure him as the words were uttered a tall dark man in a strange garb and mounted on a black wild-looking steed whom no one had hitherto observed sprang to the ground and advanced towards the king i take your offer sire said this personage in a harsh voice i will cure him who art thou fellow demanded king richard doubtfully i am a forester replied the tall man but i understand somewhat of sugary and leechcraft and woodcraft too i'll be sworn fellow said the king thou hast or i am mistaken made free with some of my venison he looks marvellously like arnold sheaf who was outlawed for deer-stealing said osmond crook regarding him steadfastly i am no outlaw neither am i called arnold sheaf replied the other my name is philip urswick and i can render a good account of myself when it shall please the king's highness to interrogate me i dwell on the heath near bagshot which you passed to-day in the chase and where i joined you i noted you not said osmond nor i nor i cried the other keepers that may be but i saw you rejoined urswick contemptuously and i tell you there is not one among you to be compared with the brave hunter who lies there you have all pronounced his case hopeless i repeat i can cure him if the king will make it worth my while make good thy words fellow replied the king and thou shalt not only be amply rewarded but shall have a free pardon for any offence thou mayest have committed enough replied urswick and taking a large keen-edged hunting-knife from his girdle he cut off the head of the heart close to the point where the neck joins the skull and then laid it open from the extremity of the underlip to the nuke this must be bound on the head of the wounded man he said the keepers stared in astonishment but the king commanded that the strange order should be obeyed upon which the bleeding skull was fastened upon the head of the keeper with leathern thongs i will now answer for his perfect cure in a month's time said urswick to the king but i shall require to watch over him myself till all danger is at an end i pray your highness to command these keepers to transport him to my hut you hear what he says knaves cried the king do his bidding and carefully or ye shall answer to me with your lives accordingly a litter was formed with branches of trees and on this the body of hern with the heart's head still bound to it was conveyed by the keepers to urswick's hut a small dwelling situated in the wilder part of bagshot heath after placing the body upon a bed of dried fern the keepers were about to depart when osmond crook observed to the forester i am now certain thou art arnold chief it matters not who i am since i have the king's pardon replied the other laughing disdainfully thou hast yet to earn it said osmond leave that to me replied urswick there is more fear that thou wilt lose thy post as chief keeper which the king has promised to hern than that i shall fail would the deer had killed him outright growled osmond and the savage wish was echoed by the other keepers i see you all hate him bitterly said urswick what will you give me for revenge we have little to give save a fat buck on occasions replied osmond and in all likelihood thou canst help thyself to venison will you swear to grant the first request i may make of you provided it shall be in your power demanded urswick readily they replied enough said urswick i must keep faith with the king hern will recover but he will lose all his skill as an archer all his craft as a hunter if thou canst accomplish this thou art the fiend himself cried osmond trembling fiend or not replied urswick with a triumphant laugh ye have made a compact with me and must fulfil it 
Now be gone. I must attend to the wounded man. And the keepers, full of secret misgivings, departed. At the precise time promised, Hearn, attended by Urswick, presented himself to the king. He looked thin and pale, but all danger was past. King Richard gave the forester a purse full of nobles, and added a silver bugle to the gift. He then appointed Hearn his chief keeper, hung a chain of gold round his neck, and ordered him to be lodged in the castle. About a week after this, Hearn, having completely regained his strength, accompanied the king on a hunting expedition to the forest, and they had scarcely entered it when his horse started and threw him. Up to that moment such an accident had never happened to him, for he was an excellent horseman, and he arose greatly discomfited, while the keepers eyed each other askance. Soon after this a buck was started, and though Hearn was bravely mounted on a black steed bestowed on him the account of its swiftness by the king, he was the last in the chase. "'Thou art out of practice,' said the king, laughing, as he came up. "'I know not what ails me,' replied Hearn gloomily. "'It cannot be thy steed's fault,' said the king, "'for he is usually as fleet as the wind. "'But I will give thee an opportunity of gaining credit in another way. "'You seest yon buck? "'He cannot be seventy yards off, "'and I have seen thee hit the mark at twice the distance. "'Bring him down.' "'Hearn raised his crossbow and let fly the bolt. "'But it missed the mark, and the buck, startled by the noise, "'dashed down the brake wholly uninjured. "'King Richard's brow grew dark, "'and Hearn uttered an exclamation of rage and despair.' "'Thou shalt have a third and yet easier trial,' said the king. "'Old Osmond Crook shall lend thee his bow, "'and thy quarry shall be yon maggot-pie.' "'As he spoke, the arrow sped, "'but it quivered in the trunk of the tree "'some yards from the bird. "'The unfortunate shooter looked distracted, "'but King Richard made no remark "'until, toward the close of the day, "'he said to him, "'Thou must regain thy craft, friend Hearn, "'or I cannot continue thee as my chief keeper.' "'The keepers congratulated each other in secret.' for they felt that their malice was about to be gratified. The next day Hearn went forth, as he thought, alone, but he was watched by his enemies. Not a shaft would go true, and he found that he had completely lost his mastery over horse and hound. The day after that he again rode forth to hunt with the king, and his failures made him the laughing-stock of the party. Richard at length dismissed him with these words, Take repose for a week, and then thou shalt have a further trial. If thou dost not then succeed, I must perforce discharge thee from thy post. Instead of returning to the castle, Hearn rode off wildly into the forest, where he remained until eventide. He then returned with ghastly looks and a strange appearance, having the links of a rusty chain which he had plucked from a gibbet hanging from his left arm, and the heart's antlered skull which he had procured from Urswick fixed like a helm upon his head. His whole demeanor showed that he was crazed, and his condition, which might have moved the compassion of his foes, only provoked their laughter. After committing the wildest extravagances, he burst from all restraint and disappeared among the trees of the home park. An hour after this, a peddler, who was crossing the park from Datchet, found him suspended by a rope from a branch of the oak tree which you have all seen, and which bears his name. Despair had driven him to that dreadful deed. Instead of cutting him down, the peddler ran to the castle to relate what he had witnessed, and the keepers, satisfied that their revenge was now fully accomplished, hastened with him to the tree but the body was gone, and all that proclaimed it had been there was the rope hanging from the branch. Search was made everywhere for the missing body, but without effect. When the matter was related to the king, he was much troubled, and would fain have had masses said for the repose of the soul of the unfortunate keeper, but the priest refused to perform them, alleging that he had committed self-destruction, and was therefore out of the pale of the church. On that night a terrible thunderstorm occurred, 
as terrible it may be as that of last night, and during its continuance the oak on which Hearn had hanged himself was blasted by the lightning. Old Osman was immediately reinstated in his post as chief keeper, but he had little time for rejoicing, for he found that the same spell which had bound Hearn had fallen upon him. His bolts and arrows went wide of their mark, his hounds lost their scent, and his falcon would not be lured back. Half frantic, and afraid of exposing himself to the taunts of his companions, he feigned illness, and left his comrade, Roger Barfoot, to take his place. But the same ill luck befell Barfoot, and he returned in woeful plight without a single head of game. Four others were equally unfortunate, and it was now clear that the whole party were bewitched. Luckily, the king had quitted the castle, but they felt certain they should be dismissed on his return, if not more severely punished. At last, after taking counsel together, they resolved to consult Urswick, whom they doubted not could remove the spell. Accordingly, they went to Bagshot Heath and related their story to him. When they had done, he said, The curse of Hearn's blood is upon you, and can only be removed in one way. As you return to the castle, go to the tree on which he destroyed himself, and you may learn how to act. The keepers would have questioned him further, but he refused to answer, and dismissed them. The shades of evening had fallen as they quitted Bagshot, and it was midnight as they entered the home park and proceeded towards the fatal oak. It was pitchy dark, and they could only distinguish the tree by its white, scathed trunk. All at once a blue flame, like a will-o'-the-wisp, appeared, flitted twice around the tree, and then remained stationary, its light falling upon a figure in a wild garb with a rusty chain hanging from its left arm and an antlered helm upon its head. They knew it to be Hearn, and instantly fell down before him while a burst of terrible laughter sounded in their ears. Without heeding them further, the spirit darted round the tree, rattling its chain, and uttering appalling imprecations. It then stopped, and turning to the terrified beholders, bade them, in a hollow voice, bring hounds and horses as for a chase on the following night, and vanished. Filled with dread, the keepers returned home, and the next day old Osmond again sought the forester, and told him what had occurred. "'You must obey the spirit's injunctions, or worse mischief will befall you,' said Urswick. Go to the tree, mounted as for a hunting party, and take the black steed given to Hearn by the king, and the two black hounds with you. You will see what will ensue. And without another word he dismissed them. Osmond told his comrades what the forester had said, and though they were filled with alarm, they resolved upon compliance. At midnight, therefore, they rode towards the tree with the black hounds in leash, and leading Hearn's favorite horse, saddled and bridled. As they drew near, they saw again the terrible shapes stalking around the tree, and heard the fearful imprecations. His spells ended, Hearn called to Osmond to bring him his steed, and the old man tremblingly obeyed. In an instant the mysterious being vaulted on its back, and in a voice of resistless authority cried, To the forest! To the forest! With this he dashed forward, and the whole party, hounds and men, hurried after him. They rode at a furious pace for five or six miles over the great park, the keepers wondering where their unearthly leader was taking them, and almost fancying they were hurrying to perdition when they descended a hillside leading to the marsh, and halted before a huge beech-tree, where Hearn dismounted and pronounced certain mystic words, accompanying them with strange gestures. Presently he became silent and motionless. A flash of fire then burst from the roots of the tree, and the forester Urswick stood before him, but his aspect was more terrible and commanding than it had seemed heretofore to the keepers. "'Welcome, Hearn,' he cried. "'Welcome, Lord of the Forest. And you, his comrades, and soon to be his followers,' welcome too. The time has come for the fulfillment of your promise to me. I require you to form a band for Hearn the Hunter, and to serve him as leader. Swear to obey him, and the spell that hangs over you shall be broken. If not, 
I leave you to the king's justice. Not daring to refuse compliance, the keepers took the oath proposed, and a fearful one it was. As soon as it was done, Erswick vanished as he came, in a flash of fire. Hearn then commanded the others to dismount, and made them prostrate themselves before him, and pay him homage. This done, he blew a strike on his horn, rode swiftly up the hillside, and a stag being unharbored, the chase commenced. Many a fat buck was hunted and slaughtered that night, and an hour before daybreak Hearn commanded them to lay the four finest and fattest at the foot of the beech tree, and then dismissed them, bidding them meet him at midnight on the scathed oak in the home park. They came as they were commanded, but fearful of detection they adopted strange disguises, not unlike those worn by the caitiffs who were put to death a few weeks ago by the king in a great park. Night after night they thus went forth, thinning the herds of deer, and committing other outrages and depredations. Nor were their dark proceedings altogether unnoticed. Belated travellers crossing the forest beheld them, and related what they had seen. Others watched for them, but they were so effectually disguised that they escaped detection. At last, however, the king returned to the castle, and accounts of the strange doings in the forest were instantly brought to him. Astonished at what he heard, and determined to ascertain the truth of the statement, he ordered the keepers to attend him that night in an expedition to the forest, when he hoped to encounter the demon huntsman and his band. Much alarmed, Osmond Crook, who acted as spokesman, endeavoured, by representing the risk he would incur, to dissuade the king from the enterprise. But he would not be deterred, and they now gave themselves up for lost. As the castle clock tolled forth the hour of midnight, Richard, accompanied by a numerous guard and attended by the keepers, issued from the gates and rode towards the scathed oak. As they drew near the tree, the figure of Hearn, mounted on his black steed, was discerned beneath it. Deep fear fell upon all the beholders, but chiefly upon the guilty keepers, at the sight. The king, however, pressed forward and cried, Why dost thou disturb the quietude of night, accursed spirit? Because I desire vengeance, replied Hearn in a hollow voice. I was brought to my present woeful condition by Osmond Crook and his comrades. But you died by your own hand, did you not? demanded King Richard. Yea, replied Hearn, but I was driven to the deed by an infernal spell laid upon me by the malice of the wretches I have denounced. Hang them upon this tree, and I will trouble these woods no longer whilst thou reignest. The king looked round at the keepers. They all remained obdurate, except Roger Barfoot, who, falling to his knees, confessed his guilt and accused the others. It is enough, cried the king to Hearn. They shall all suffer for their offense. Upon this a flash of fire enveloped the spirit and his horse, and he vanished. The king kept his word. Osmond and his comrades were all hanged upon the scathed tree, nor was Hearn seen again in the forest while Richard sat upon the throne. But he reappeared with a new band at the commencement of the rule of Henry the Fourth, and again hunted the deer at night. His band was destroyed, but he defied all efforts at capture, and so it has continued to our own time, for not one of the seven monarchs who have held the castle since Richard's day have been able to drive him from the forest. Nor will the present monarch be able to drive him thence said a deep voice. As long as Windsor Forest endures, Hearn the Hunter will haunt it. All turned at the exclamation, and saw that it proceeded from a tall dark man in an archer's garb, standing behind Simon Quadden's chair. Thou hast told thy legend fairly enough, good clerk of the kitchen, continued this personage, but thou art wrong on many material points. I have related the story as it was related to me, said Cutbeard, somewhat nettled at the remark but perhaps you will set me right where I have erred. It is true that Hearn was a keeper in the reign of Richard the Second, replied the tall archer. It is true also that he was expert in all manners of woodcraft, and that he was in high favor with the king. But, 
he was bewitched by a lovely damsel, and not by a weird forester. He carried off a nun and dwelt with her in a cave in the forest where he assembled his brother keepers, and treated them to the king's venison and the king's wine. "'A sacrilegious villain and a reprobate!' exclaimed Lancelot Rudder. "'His mistress was fair enough, I will warrant her,' said Kit Koo. "'She was the very image of this damsel,' rejoined the tall archer, pointing to Mabel, "'and fair enough to work his ruin, for it was through her that the fiend tempted him. "'The charms that proved his undoing were fatal to her also, "'for in a fit of jealousy he slew her. "'The remorse occasioned by this deed made him destroy himself.' "'Well, your version of the legend may be the correct one, "'for aught I know, worthy sir,' said Cutbeard but I see not that it accounts for Hearn's antler so well as mine, unless he were wedded to the nun, whom, you say, played him false. But how came you to know she resembled Mabel Linwood? Aye, I was thinking of that myself, said Simon Quadrant. How do you know that, master? Because I have seen her picture, replied the tall archer. Painted by Satan's chief limner, I suppose, rejoined Cutbeard. He who painted it had seen her, replied the tall archer sternly. But... As I have said, it was the very image of this damsel. And as he uttered the words, he quitted the kitchen. Who is that archer? demanded Cutbeard, looking after him. But no one could answer the question, nor could anyone tell him when he had entered the kitchen. Strange! exclaimed Simon Quadrant, crossing himself. Have you seen him before, Mabel? I almost think I have, she replied with a slight shudder. I half suspect he is Hearn himself, whispered the Duke of Shoreditch to Paddington. It may be, responded the other. His glance made my blood run cold. You look somewhat fatigued, sweetheart, said Deborah, observing Mabel's uneasiness. Come with me, and I will show you to a chamber. Glad to escape, Mabel followed the good dame out of the kitchen, and they ascended a winding staircase which brought them to a commodious chamber in the upper part of Henry the Seventh's buildings, where Deborah sat down with her young charge and volunteered a great deal of good advice to her, which the other listened to with becoming attention and promised to profit by it. End of chapter 6 Recording by Todd